It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. Hey, what's up? This is Danny Wexelman. Hey, everyone. I'm Steffi Smalls. What's up, everyone? It's Ben Lindsay. This is Andrea Carter. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin. And you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Crunch Time Plays today. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thanks so much. Got another exciting guest for you today as SEC Media Days are, are going on. We got Jim Dunaway today. He's recently started a a new show, the next round. I know he's really excited about with, with Ryan Brown and Lance Taylor from what I've seen so far. They're doing an incredible job. And and Jim, it's just awesome to have you today. Thank you so much for for taking time. And I know we're getting excited for SEC football. Yeah, no doubt about it, Bennett. Uh, you know, we're 50 days away as we record this from Alabama and Auburn's first game. Excited about both of those seasons, uh, both of those teams where their programs are going. And uh, all the SEC, really. I, mean, I think we're in for an exciting year, and it all starts with the talking season on Monday. Yeah, there's no no doubt about that. Getting ready, getting. I know you're getting excited to to get the SEC media days uh, here, and and you've got to, you know, where it all starts with with Alabama. We're gonna hit on them uh, first. And I know the the main question that that I've certainly uh, been talking about. I know a lot of people have too. Or is if is if they have a, a chance to to slip up this year, and the schedule is is very is probably one is probably the best I've ever seen uh, for Alabama in terms of the SEC West being an SEC Wild West. You know, you still got a trip to to Florida. Of course, we you know you start off the season with Miami, then week three you're you're at Florida, you're you're at A and M that, that Jimbo's uh, create, making a monster over there, and, and Lane Kiffin. Of course, they're coming to to Tuscaloosa, but he's always tough with with Matt Corral if they can you know, put some sort of a defense on the field. They're probably going to beat a lot of teams this year, and LSU's going to rebound. You got the Iron Bowl at the end of the season. So it's hard to it's hard not to think that, that Alabama could have some trouble in some games this year. Personally, I I tend to think that that maybe they might lose one of those uh, regular season games. I'm definitely curious to to find out what, what you think about that and if, if Alabama is going to go through the season unscathed at 12-0. Well, I mean, they've done it. They did it last year. They've done it in 2009. But um, more often than not, Alabama loses a game during the regular season. That's that's how tough the SEC has been during this dominant time for Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa. And I want to start with the game you're talking about with Miami. If Derek King is healthy, uh, that's a challenging game to me because they did a great job of getting people to buy back in and come back to Miami. They brought some guys in in the portal that helps Miami. And Derek King paired up with Rhett Lashley in another year of those two working together, I think can be very dangerous. If King's knee is back to near 100%, I think that is a dangerous formula, having a guy with his skill set and Rhett Lashley calling the plays for Alabama's defense. Remember, though, this Alabama defensive squad is going to be better than they were last year. I thought they got really good by the end of the year, but Rhett Lashley has had success when he was at Auburn at pressing the right buttons to sort of confuse the way Nick Saban likes to play defense. So to me, that is a great matchup out of the gate. And then the SEC is the SEC. The West, as you said, the Wild West, and you throw in a trip to Florida early on, Bryce Young, and that offensive line that's rebuilt, they've got to be good quick against Manny Diaz in Miami and then the trip to Florida in Gainesville right there in the first three weeks. A lot of challenges. 
Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. And and kind of curious to, to what you uh, think about uh, how the offense is going to look uh, this year. And uh, we never, we never want to count out what Nick Saban does, brings in uh, two guys from the NFL to bring into the staff, Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone on the offensive side of the ball. Just, you know, they obviously did an incredible job, but in the NFL, they also have a lot of college experience. Bill O'Brien, of course, took the took the Penn State job uh, in the midst of, of sanctions and, and brought that program uh, back to life. And, and Doug Marone spent some a lot of time at at Syracuse. He certainly knows uh, how to recruit. Certainly knows how uh, the college game uh, works. But but in your in your knowledge, how many um, or how how much have you seen uh, Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone and, and some of these new uh, assistants? And you know, Coach Saban had a lot of a turnover. It's just one of the one of the reasons why he's so great, he's able to evolve with, with with whatever personnel or coaching staff that he has. But but how have you seen Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone sort of fit into to this team, not only during the spring, but, but heading into the season as well? Well, you know, I, I had a chance to host Coach Saban's show many, many years and then filled in for Chris Stewart recently. And if you're around Nick Saban, he has a way of of doing things. He has a belief system that he he changes over time, but he has a belief system. And I think that's why he's able to change coaches. And then they come into Tuscaloosa and they coach it the Alabama way, the Nick Saban way, instead of changing to fit a certain coordinator. Everyone will talk about Bill O'Brien and I love Bill O'Brien and I think he'll do a wonderful job. He did a great job. I thought of coaching with the Houston Texans. He was a horrible general manager. Uh, but luckily in college, you don't trade away star players or, or all your first round picks to get a to get a bust from the Miami Dolphins, which was his downfall. So he won't be making player decisions and trading away future drafts because you don't have those in college. He had the Texans in the playoffs all the time, and he did a wonderful job there. He did a wonderful job at Penn State. To me, the biggest coaching change is not Sark to Bill O'Brien. It is Doug Marone because I have a lot of respect for Kyle Flood. But Kyle Flood had NFL talent there. Doug Marone has Evan Neal, NFL talent. But he has a lot of young, talented, five-star recruits in an offensive line that are inexperienced. So how quick can Doug Marone get his offensive line, that young offensive line, pieced together? I think that'll be one of the better coaching jobs if Alabama's undefeated on how quickly Doug Marone can get that offensive line put together in front of an inexperienced quarterback in Bryce Young. But I like both of those hires. Both of those guys are NFL minds. They're they're geniuses. You don't get to be a head coach in the NFL and you not know X's and O's. That's certainly a great point, you know, about, about Doug Barone. He does have a lot of a young, you know, five-star talent. Of course, Alabama doesn't, doesn't rebuild. They reload, and, and he does have a lot of uh, young talents. So I'm certainly curious to see how he, how he develops uh, that position, recruits that position, and, and puts his own uh, sort of stamp on it. But kind of interested to, to get your thoughts on the, the offensive philosophy uh, change uh, between Sark and, and Bill O'Brien. I know, you know, in 20 – you know, 2019, Alabama ran 842 plays, of 436 rushes, 406 passes, almost sort of a 50-50. And then, you know, you fast forward to last year, they actually did run 80 more plays last year at 902, had 477 rushes and, and 425 uh, passes. You know, when you really look at it, Najee Harris, of course, they had a great offensive line last year, had Najee Harris, had – Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, those guys on the outside. But but tra- kind of transitioning to this year, you got Bryce Young, the new quarterback. 
You still got some weapons, still got Mechie, still got Bolden. You had Jamison Williams from Ohio State, who I think is probably going to have a big year. You got Jaleel Billingsley at tight end that, that really started to, to come on last year when Waddle went down, really took a big step. A guy that, that I think definitely has an opportunity to, to have a lot of big catches for Alabama this year. So in your, in your mind, in terms of, of philosophy, are we still going to see sort of that 50-50 approach kind of run with pass uh, the way uh, Coach Sartre did it the past couple of years with Bill O'Brien? Well, I, I think you'll start with the fact that without that offensive line, there probably will be some opportunities for Bryce Young to run the football a little bit more, uh, some more design runs, but just the escapability um, that you see from, say, a Jalen Hurts back in the day. But I, I would say go look at Bill O'Brien and what he did with the Houston Texans and what he did with Deshaun Watson. And I know you can look at Deshaun Watson and you can look at Bryce Young and they do not look the same, right? They are built differently. But I think they have some skill sets that are a lot alike. And I think Bryce Young's ability to scoot out the back door of a rush or if you are all covered up, which you have to do with the Alabama receivers, uh, you know, they stress you. Mechie and those guys can stress you on stress you on the edges and really good tight end play, the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. All of a sudden, everybody's got their back turned to you. And Alabama experienced that with Deshaun Watson. Uh, the couple of times they played them, and that's the ability where you can see Bryce Young get out and, and hurt you. So I, I think there's an opportunity to see Bryce run more than Mack and Tua did. Uh, but I, I think the offense will go back to look a little bit more like it looked under Tua Tungabaloa than it did with Mack last year. So I'm, I'm excited to what Bill O'Brien will bring to the table. Um, I think any good coach, any good coach changes their play calling to fit their personnel and I think Alabama's personnel this year um, is more defense than it is offense. In the last couple of years, it's been the other way around. So when you're playing to your defense, you may want to slow it down a little bit. You may want to to mix in more runs a little bit. You, you may not want to. You, you may not worry about being the the highest in the play count or you know trying to you know go fast or anything like that. You may you may see it revert back to a little bit more of a, of a managed offense. So uh, I think you play a little bit more to your defense this year. I think you see Bryce has the ability to do things that Sean did when he was at Clemson or with Bill O'Brien at the Texans. And I think that's really the only differences you see in the offenses. Other than that, it's uh, it'll be your typical Alabama style of football. That's definitely true, and, and Coach Saban certainly uh, evolved uh, over the years. What what makes him, you know, the greatest coach uh, in the game right now? He's always able to evolve to the to the changes uh, in the landscape of college football, and he's certainly done that uh, over the past few years. And and know one thing, uh, you know, fans got a, got a little frustrated with after after that Ole Miss game. Alabama fans was was Pete Golding and the defense, but but the you know the fact is they only allowed 19 and a half points a game uh, last year in an all SEC schedule. They really made a lot of strides after that Ole Miss game. Of course you got a lot of guys back. You got Will Anderson, you got a defensive line that's going to be really talented. And then you got you know Jaquince Kuei McKinstry's a freshman coming in a, a corner has potential to to make a lot of plays. Uh, this year, just, just how do you see uh, Pete Golding in the defense kind of taking that next step this year? Because this really could be, you know, in what I think is one of the more uh, talented and and efficient defenses that Coach Saban's had at Alabama. I I love Pete Golding, I really do. And you know, I probably put it to, on my show we call it a landmine, a Jimmy landmine. I probably placed that on him last year when I thought he'd be the Broyles Award winner for the nation's top assistant coach. I'm not afraid to make that pick again and say it'll be him this year. I was maybe a year too early. Um, 
I, I think his linebackers are great sideline to sideline. I think the defensive line will be good. And, you know, I'll wait and see what the secondary looks like, but I think they'll be darn good as well. I love Joe back there, and I love what Pete Golding does defensively. He does it the way Nick Saban likes to do it. Um, and and I, I really like the defense. Uh, you go back and look at how that defense played after Ole Miss and comp- take out the Ole Miss game and tell me where – where that defense is in points allowed and all of that. I think it, it scores really well, especially with the rules today in college football and, and in the playoffs. I mean, I mean the playoffs against Notre Dame and then against Ohio State, I thought that defense played really well. That Florida game ends up being the closest one, and it's about the only time in the second half of the season that I, I thought it got away from them a little bit. But you look at, at how good that Florida roster was and the, the talent they had at tight end. Um, which really made you do a lot of th- different things, um, which opens the door for those receivers. There was a lot of talent on that Florida offense. That was a really good football team. How they lost as many games as they did, I still don't understand. Um, so I, I I really like Pete Golden. I like Alabama's defense, and I think they're a year better, and Will Anderson will be a superstar. Won't surprise me at all if by the end of the year that guy is the top vote getter uh, of defensive players when it comes to the Heisman Trophy race. Yeah, I, I definitely definitely agree with that, and and kind of switching over to uh, to the other, of course, team that you you cover really closely, Auburn. Of course, they got a new coach, uh, in Brian Harson. They got it certainly out of the box. He's come in and and hired his share of of new assistants, but he's also hired a lot of you know SC guys with a lot of SEC ties. When you look at the coordinators, Mike Bobo, Derek Mason are are two guys that that have been in the league uh, for a number of years now, and and you know I know a lot of fans around Auburn are have been a little bit skeptical about the start in, in the recruiting trail. But I know you're still starting to establish your recruiting footprint. If you're Brian Harson, still trying to understand uh, where uh, your recruiting footprint's going to be. But I personally really love the, the mix of the, of the staff uh, being a lot of SEC guys, but also being a lot of the guys that are bringing fresh ideas to the league as well. Well, I, th- I think they've done a really good job in the transfer portal. They brought a couple of guys in on defense that are going to contribute in that secondary. Uh, they brought in a receiver. Uh, there's a former five-star guy who's going to contribute out there and give them experience at wide receiver. Uh, but there's two things um, about that coaching staff. First off, Brian Harson. I-, I thought it was important that Auburn got a coach that had a little Pat Dye in him. Um, and if you, you're too young, Bennett, but for those that are watching that remember Auburn football, back coming out of the 70s into the early 80s, they needed an identity. And Pat Dye gave them an identity. And I thought that Billy Napier or Brian Harson, whichever way they went in the coaching search there, that guy would have been a good hire at Auburn. They didn't go Napier. They went Brian Harson. And Brian Harson is a guy that I think has a little bit of Pat Dye in him, the way he wants to run his program. And I think that that will work well over time with Auburn fans. I think the other thing he did, and it may be when it's all said and done, the best coordinator hire of all the new coaches last season, all across college football. And that was getting Derek Mason and keeping him from going to the NFL or keeping him from just setting out a year of coaching. Derek Mason is an elite defensive coordinator. He's an elite football mind. Uh, nobody wins at Vanderbilt. Um, and so forget, forget his record as a head coach. That guy can coach defensive football. I think that was Brian Harson's best move. And I also think hiring Mike Bobo, um, to me, 
And listen, I'm not a player. I don't know X's and O's. You need to talk to my buddy Cole Kublick and those guys if you if you need somebody to break down X's and O's. I will tell you just from the naked eye, to me, Mike Bobo played and coached football the way Patrick Nix used to play football when he was at Auburn and the way he likes to coach football. And to me, Bo Nix, obviously coached by his dad and, and influenced by his dad, I think Bo Nix fits into a Mike Bobo way of playing football better than he did in the Gus Malzahn way of playing football. So I think Bo will be a lot more comfortable, and you will see him produce a little bit more this year. So I like where Auburn is, except that I don't love their offensive line. I think they have a really difficult schedule. Um, an an eight-win season to me seems what's in the works for Auburn, eight and four. Uh, Anything north of that, and boy, you can start giving a, a vote or two for Coach of the Year to Brian Harson if they get to nine or ten. Yeah, definitely, definitely understand. You know, some of the some of the skepticism that's come uh, Brian Harson's way uh, on the recruiting trail over the past couple of weeks, but it, it, they're yeah, starting. But, but you know, Bennett, Bennett, that's not fair to me because you know you get you get there in December. That early signing period's already happening before you even unpack your bag. The way it's done now, almost every good recruit is signing in the early signing period. Just a few are left over. To me, it's what he's done in the portal. And then what he does next year is he sort of gets his identity. Um, you know, I I understand that the numbers are the numbers and their numbers aren't where you want Auburn's numbers to be uh, right now. But look at who he's brought in, how they're going to help that roster. And then what is it going to look like at the next signing class? Yeah, that, that's what I that's, I mean, that's what I was going to go on to say was he's really signed some great defensive players in the transfer portal. Of course, you got Demetrius Robertson coming over from Georgia, wide receiver. Obviously, has caught a lot of caught some balls in this league. Guy that really brings a lot of of SEC experience to the room, and you're starting to establish your recruiting footprint. So I think per, definitely think he's going to be perfectly fine there. And if they have a a great season like you're talking about, eight and four. Anything beyond that, that's certainly going to help as well. And and, and definitely agree uh, with you that, that Bo Nix definitely, you know, we talk about him uh, having a new uh, sponsor with, with Milo Sweet Tea. I definitely think that he and – or Milo Sweet Tea and that new uh, Mike Bobo offense are certainly going to help uh, get Bo Nix uh, more sugared up and hyped up uh, this season whenever you're talking about a guy that is going to go under center a little more, got to really – is leaning on the run game. You know, I think personally, I think Auburn fans uh, should be really excited about the potential year that, that Tank Bigsby's going to have this year. Cause you know, you watch what Mike Bobo did last year with Kevin Harris really scheming up uh, that run game when they only had one uh, really great wide receiver in Shy Smith. So I really do think that Tank Bigsby's going to have a big year this year as well. Well, I mean, uh, name me a r- better running back in the SEC than Tank Bigsby. I mean, you may have an opinion there's someone. Uh, that may be number one in, in your book, uh, but for me, it's Tank Bigsby. Um, it may be the best running back in the country. We'll find out. The question is, can can that offensive line take a step forward? Is there room there for Tank Bigsby to put up the same type of numbers? I tell you, nothing nothing helps Bo Nix more than Tank Bigsby running the football. Nothing makes for an easier pass than a play action when you've got to sell out to stop Tank Bigsby. So, um, if Tank Bixby can go when he goes, Auburn's offense is better. And I don't think they have a running back problem at all, uh, at least when Tank Bixby's on the field. No, de- definitely not. And, and, you know, the thing you talk about, uh, you talk about Pat Dye, the old, uh, the, the old, you know, coaching staff. So to me, I think Auburn uh, fans are really going to be uh, excited. I was joking with, with Pat Smith the other day when we were joking that, uh, 
whenever I had him on that you think Auburn fans were going to get up and start uh, clapping whenever they throw to the to the tight ends this year. Uh, Shanker and Deal definitely have a chance to to have great years in this new offense as well. Uh, one way to excite any fan base, right, is to throw to the tight end. Uh, that is a, sort of the default mode for for all of us that don't always know everything about football. We're like, how come they don't throw the tight end more? Um, so, yeah, I mean, they'll work throwing to the tight ends and having a tight end on the field will look good. And they got some good ones. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I love throwing to the tight end. And I love uh, – listen, I love going to football games at Auburn. I go to a lot in Tuscaloosa as well. I'm just looking forward to having everybody back in the stands, knock on wood, and we get uh, we get a full season with all the fanfare that we love so much here in the South. That's definitely true. Definitely, definitely looking forward to that and looking forward to, to packed stadiums. And I you know it's going to be a real a resurgence in college football fandom this year, which I'm really excited about. But I did kind of want to switch over uh, to the East with you, talk about Georgia with you for a couple minutes. You know, of course, they're – probably got the best a uh, roster that, that Kirby's had uh, since he's been there you really have an opportunity to to get to the playoff get to that national championship game this year I know a lot of the concerns were you know about the wide receiving core after George Pickens went down they still got a lot of talent over there still got you know you add Eric Gilbert in the transfer portal and then the secondary Tyke Smith and and Darian Kendrick come over from the transfer portal really think really think thought those were two great uh, additions for for Georgia there in the transfer portal and you know kind of looking at at the offense you know JT Daniels is back to me it really boils down to to is Kirby gonna you know kind of open up the offense a little bit for Ty Munkin and and JT Daniels because it seemed like he's uh, been a little slow uh, in that department to to really open that up that offense with a quarterback and an offensive coordinator that he trusts. Yeah, and I understand that criticism, uh, Bennett, but to me, um, when you've got the defense Georgia has and now that you've got the quarterback with JT Daniels in place, um, you know, I don't think you have to necessarily, um, you know, take take risk with the football. I don't think you necessarily have to, you know, go out there and try to score 40 a game. I, I don't think that's the way Georgia is going to be built at all. Um, you know, I understand the criticism and I understand everybody can look at Alabama and look at how many points them and then and the national champion before them, LSU, how they played football and say, we want to play like that. I understand that. But, you know, I grew up enough in time to know that if you've got a defense that is elite, maybe the best in the country, uh, there's nothing wrong with having an offense that's only in the top 20 or only in the top 30 if you've got the number one defense. And I know Nick Saban said last year that maybe defense, defenses can't win championships anymore. It's offenses now. Maybe I forget his quote, but it was something like that. Trust me, I think Georgia's defense is good enough to keep them in the hunt. And JT hasn't lost at quarterback yet. And I know they've lost you know, Pickens at receiver for at least part of the season, if not all the season. Um, and that, you know, they lose this and that that's a talented group on offense. They got a lot of people, a lot like the 2017, uh, team that bought back in and didn't go pro could have gone pro didn't go pro came back to the roster, just like the 2017 ers did. And that 2017 team made it to the national championship game. Probably if they'd have coached it a little differently, would have won the national championship in 2017. That was some guys that bought back in, came back for good old Georgia. And I think you have a lot of guys who have done that this year. I think Georgia is going to be really good. Wouldn't surprise me if they are in the college football playoffs. Wouldn't surprise me if they're in the national championship game. Wouldn't surprise me if they win this thing um, when it's all said and done. And it would be at the right time for Kirby because – 
you know, I can't believe it, but he's already starting to get some some heat for can they get over the hump? I mean, to me, they're already over the hump. When you play in one national championship game and have a chance to win that thing and and then you've been in the playoffs or you've been in the SEC championship game and had Alabama backed up against the wall and, and another one of those, uh, I mean, he's done a lot already. And I'm uh, sure got to win a national championship eventually. Uh, but go back to when was it? Vince Dooley, 1980. They don't grow on trees over there. So I think he's doing a pretty good job, in my opinion. Yeah, I, th- I think he is, too. You know, I think it's it's a little a little unfair to, to the whole championship or, or bust this year mentality. I definitely think the, that's unfair. You know, when you look at the recruiting classes he's brought in, the success uh, that he's that he's having, it's only it's only a matter of time for him if he keeps. Uh, putting himself in those positions, I only think it may not be this year, but it'll definitely be in the next couple of years. I think. Yeah, uh, I mean, you keep recruiting. It's all about the Jimmy and Joes, right? You got the right guys, and sometimes the coach just has to get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I did want to kind of ask you before we switch back over to the West and get to the rest of it. I did kind of since we're already in the East. I did want to ask you about uh, the rest of the East. You to look at Florida. You look at Kentucky, Missouri. In Florida, of course, they they lost a lot. Dan Mullen's obviously gonna gonna reinvent that offense. Certainly, think he's gonna be more like possibly more like the Dak Prescott days. But certainly, if I if I had a if I want somebody to call a play for me, it'd certainly be Dan Mullen. And then and then Kentucky is you know what they're gonna be defensively changing offensive coordinators uh, and Liam Cohen to get uh, stopping the Eddie Grant up uh, a uh, philosophy there, changing uh, philosophies there for Mark Stoops, and then. And then Missouri, Connor Bazelite back uh, at quarterback. The only the question for me about Missouri is the the defense. They've lost a lot of guys to the transfer portal. Lost Nick Bolton, that was certainly a centerpiece uh, for that defense. How you, how you kind of see the the rest of the East playing out? Is it is it still Florida uh, at number two, just based on the the talent on the roster? Yeah, I, I think Emory's going to do a good job at quarterback too. And um, Dan Mullen, I think, is a really good coach. Um, for me, if I if I was voting for SEC Media Days, as we all do next week, it is Georgia 1, it is Florida 2, I would put Kentucky 3, I'd put Missouri 4, and then you know pick somebody after that. Go Tennessee if you want to, then go South Carolina, then go Vandy. It's probably the way I would go. Uh, for me, I, I love the job that you know Stoops does at Kentucky. But Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri, if you go back and look at Alabama in that opener last year, I think that Alabama coaching staff had great respect for what Eli Drinkwitz and his coaches put on the field against them in game one. And I know it was game one, but it was a health Alabama team. And, uh, and that team, every team, a real second half, uh, made a couple, just a couple of mistakes early on that got him behind the eight ball. That Missouri team's got some talent, and uh, they've lost some this offseason. I don't know what's going on there with a couple of guys opting to uh, go elsewhere, but I think Eli Eli Drinkwitz did a real, really good job last year. Um, you know, probably of all the new coaches, you know, I'd probably go just on degree of difficulty. I'd go Pittman, Kiffin, Eli, and Leach last year, but Eli did. They all did a wonderful job first year. Um, Stoops is good. Uh, can they still create enough offense? We'll find out, but I think it's Georgia, Florida again. I think it comes down to who wins the cocktail party and I uh, got a feeling it's Georgia's turn to win that thing. Yeah, you def- definitely have to think that, that Georgia's definitely are going to win that game, especially with the, 
with the gap that there's going to be this year. And, but it kind of moving back over, back over to the West and hit on it, of kind of what your, what, what your projected standings are there. You know, A&M, of course, Jimbo's building, building a great program over there. They're having to change quarterbacks with either, either King or, or Calzada probably think it's, I would probably think it's probably going to be King. And then and LSU's got a, a quarterback battle as well with, with Miles Brennan and Max Johnson. I think it's probably going to be Max Johnson there. Definitely have enough talent to to make a lot of noise in the West this year. And then, and then you know, kind of looking at Ole Miss, they're they're back. Old Matt Corral's back with Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy. The only you know question for me is their their defense. You know, if they can even uh, if they can even improve, you know, just a little bit, then then they have a chance to to beat a lot of teams this year. And then and then Auburn, like we've already talked about, how do you how do you see the West? Uh, kind of shaking out uh, behind Alabama. Do you have you have A and M at two, or do you have uh, LSU at two? Uh, that's close, and it'll probably comes down to who wins that that game against each other. Uh, Alabama's one, obviously, and then I'll probably will go Texas A and M two. But if they don't get quarterback right, LSU easily slides into the two slot for me, and that'll be a tough call for Jimbo. And it may be something they change out uh, throughout the year, but I do like Max down in, in Baton Rouge, but I thought Miles Brennan was playing well. I mean, heck, he can't cover the Mississippi state, um, defenders. He can't, he can't put, you know, he can't get inside Bo Pelini's skin and call better ball all year long. I don't know what was up with Bo Pelini last year. So, you know, I wouldn't put everything that went wrong last year on Miles Brennan, though. I do feel like Max will be the quarterback there. Uh, so just for, you know, I'll say A&M wins that game. I'll go Alabama, A&M, LSU, I will go Ole Miss next there, then Auburn. Uh, then I would put Mississippi State and then bring up Arkansas at the end. But you, to me, anyway, I think it's harder to pick the seventh-place team than it is the first-place team because I can make a case that Auburn will be seventh. I can make a case that Mississippi State will be seventh, that, that Ole Miss would be seventh. Everybody will put Arkansas there, but they have so many – COVID seniors, so many guys who bought in for a sixth year or a fifth year that is back off of that roster. Everybody seems to have everybody back this year, right? Except for a handful of teams. But Arkansas is up there. It's just Arkansas' schedule is so dang tough. They may be actually better than they were last year and not have as good of a record. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I certainly think they're they're going to be better. And and you know, like you said, the schedule the schedule just brutal for everybody uh, in the in the West this year. They can easily be a lot more talented uh, team, but still have still have a worse record than they had last year. But but Jim, I kind of wanted to to end it with you by asking you. You know, we got a big or we're here in South Carolina with a big South Carolina audience. So I did want to ask you uh, your your thoughts about about Shane Beamer and the, and the potential uh, program there at, at South Carolina. He's certainly a guy that, that understands uh, what it's like to, to coach at South Carolina, having to coach there before. Certainly a guy that, that's creating a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail right now. And, and really, I know we hadn't played a game yet. I know we're st- you know, still in the honeymoon phase uh, for that program. But just your, your early impressions on, on Shane Beamer and what do you think the potential is there at South Carolina? Well, first, I love going to games there. I was up there two years ago when Alabama came up, and uh, I think it was one of the first times Najee uh, for Alabama hurdled a guy. If I remember that right, it was two years ago. Yeah, and um, you know the COVID year makes me skip years, uh, so I get confused what was twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. Uh, but I love the atmosphere there, and I love that town. I love coming up there. Um, I, I think Shane Beamer is one of those guys 
that if you're if you're at South Carolina, right, you can either throughout their history, you can either get a guy who's trying to prove himself, a guy who um, has failed somewhere else and is trying to reinvent themselves, or you've had a couple of legends there in Lou Holtz and in Steve Spurrier. Uh, Will Muschamp, I thought was going to work. I thought it was going to work better than it did um, because I, I just think Will Muschamp is a good football coach. Um, for Shane Beamer, he doesn't have the credentials to me that Will Muschamp has. He doesn't have the credentials that Spurrier or Holtz has as he comes in there. But he's a guy that has you know, the great bloodline from his dad, and I do think you learned some of that. Um, and I, I think he's been around enough other coaches to get a managerial style that will put him in a good place. But it comes down to recruiting. And I think Shane Beamer falls into a category with a lot of young up-and-coming coaches that I really like a lot, like Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. And I think Beamer will understand how to relate with the student-athlete in 2021, and I think that will instantly start bringing better players into South Carolina, and eventually they will uh, start winning football games. But I don't think it's an over overnight fix. And though the East always looks like there's opportunity for upward movement, I think that door is closing a little bit. I don't think Florida is getting any worse. I don't think George is getting any worse. Um, the worst thing that can happen to South Carolina to me is if Tennessee comes back. And I, I don't know if, if Heupel is the right guy there or not. But to me, South Carolina's advantage to get back to be in a pecking order to battle to win the East starts with them rebuilding faster than Tennessee. And, uh, you know, I think those two are – you know, maybe right now Tennessee slightly ahead of South Carolina. So Beamer's Beamer's job is to get them ahead of there and then hope one day that Kentucky reverts to being traditional Kentucky and not Mark Stoops, Kentucky. It's a challenge, uh, but I like I like Beamer a lot. And I think his ability to recruit will eventually work at South Carolina. I just don't think it's this year. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. It's certainly, certainly going to be a a, a process, uh, and it really, you know, has had had a lot of success uh, on the re- on the recruiting trail, and in so far in this class, being able to to sign a lot of the class or being able to to get a lot of the class committed, if you can get those guys signed, really, really gives you in a great position to that's right just to start working on those 2023 guys, those 2024 guys, and and he does, you know, under he understands the recruiting footprint. At South Carolina, having having been there before, and and he certainly understands what it what it's like to to recruit at this level. Jim, thanks so much for for taking time today. I know you you're heading down to to SEC Media Day. It's going to be really busy uh, down there. I know you you guys have started uh, your new stuff. Have been been a fan of watching uh, you guys over the past in a few weeks as y'all continue to to develop your your brand your brand new brand and your new show. The the next round certainly want to. Want to give you the opportunity to to plug that and, and where they can find you, where people can find you on social media as well. And really appreciate you taking time today, brother. Well, thank you very much. And uh, listen, I loved uh, fifteen plus years at WJOX. It's a great radio station, and I hope a lot of people um, and I know they will will keep listening. Cole Kublik and Greg McElroy in the mornings they're replacing us, and uh, those guys are fantastic. We are starting our own digital platform. We should be up in mid August. And, um, you know, we, we're starting from the ground up. We, you know, we rented the office space, found our own carpet, 
office furniture, started ordering equipment, microphones, mic stand. I saw yours. You take a tumble there one time. We're having to, you know, pick which ones we want. We're doing all of that, building apps, building websites. We've been doing that for about a month now. We have about a month to go on that, but everything's at Next Round Live uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, uh, on Instagram as well, at Facebook, excuse me, at Next Round Live, at Next Round Live. And I was looking down here below. Is that a TikTok you have, Bennett, uh, as well? <laughs> yeah, okay. it is. Well, you'll te teach me how to TikTok when this is over with, and maybe we'll get a TikTok as well. Hey, we're, we can learn together, Jim, because I'm, I'm, I know, I know, I'm, I know, I'm supposed to be in the in the TikTok generation, but but to me, I'm kind of kind of having a little bit of trouble using it myself. So I think no, we're going to be. <laughs> I, I know what happens if I go there right now and look for Crunch Time on there, Bennett. It will, uh, it'll, it'll be you and that hat and that T-shirt on, and then you would jump or snap your fingers close to the camera or something. You go like that, and then it would edit, and you'd have a tuxedo on or something. I see that. I see that a lot. All the, all the kids <laughs> doing that. I know that's what you're gonna do. Hey, I don't, I don't think I have the talent for that, Jim. Like, I, I think, I think you could do it, but I, I don't think I have the talent. No, for no, it. no. But I tell you who can about every softball player in America, because during the World Series at Omaha, a lot of them were popping into my timeline, uh, I guess because I was watching it every day here in my sports room and every one of them had a TikTok and they would also put it on their Instagram. And every one of my Instagrams, it's like them and their batting practice clothes, what they wear to the stadium and then boom, they're in their uniform. And it's, it was funny to watch. It was just hilarious. So yeah, bend yeah. it on TikTok. I can't wait to see it. Hey, I, I kept I kept seeing that too, and, and I was like I was like, man, you know, I, I wish I I wish I could do that. I'll, I I may have to try it uh, one of these days, and, and I'll send it to you, Jim, and we'll see if we'll see if we can work it out. <laughs> All right, man, I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks so much for Jim coming on today, and thank you for watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.